Part 4 of A Brief History of the Order of Dionysus and Paul by Alan Armstrong I first met Father Morris Savile in the autumn of 1975 at an order discussion group that met regularly, twice a week at his home in Cotton, Bristol. I had been introduced to this group by Stephen Gunstone, then an active member of the order. What struck me most about Father Morris was his spiritual presence, which was strong, steady, quiet and informed. I had spent years wandering from group to group, from movement to movement, looking for something that could validate the spiritual life. Until I met Father Morris, I had encountered little more than a motley collection of self-serving people looking for an audience and an easy life. So meeting him was both a relief and a blessing. Father Morris was a different kind of man altogether. He proved to be a quiet, thoughtful person who considered the effect of his actions or words before he acted or spoke. He was also a methodical thinker and planner who recognised the restrictions of any given economy. His love of the spirit and of the spiritual life was without bounds. I knew without doubt I'd found what I was looking for. Over a few weeks, my conviction grew, and when I broached the subject of studying with him, he suggested I take three months to consider whether I was sure I wanted to follow this path. On April 17th, 1976, I was initiated, and if my memory serves me right, the membership at the time consisted of Brother Francis, Sister Claudia, Brother Ignatius, Brother Michael, Brother Barnabas, Brother Joseph, Sister Frances, Brother William and Brother Wilfred, and of course myself, Brother Marcus. There may have been a few more, but their names have faded. However, several on this list were then inactive or in abeyance, and as time passed, some of them resigned. Brother Francis, the order name of Father Morris, had an amazing grasp of all things spiritual and his ability to convey the spiritual sense was equally profound. As is often the case, those with real spiritual understanding often carry some form of burden, and Brother Francis was no exception. He suffered from a dreadful inherited affliction, known as hereditary hemorrhagic telangiectasia, otherwise known as the Oslo-Weber-Rendu disease. It is a rare autosomal dominant genetic disorder that leads to abnormal blood vessel formation in the skin, mucous membranes and often in organs such as the lungs, liver and stomach. This means that he bled, usually internally, and apart from blood transfusions there was little the medics could do to stop it. They even tried laser surgery to cauterise the bleeding, but to no avail. In due course the disease grew progressively worse until it finally killed him. Throughout the time I knew him, Brother Francis worked in the secular world as a clerk for the National Westminster Bank in that stocks and shares department. In his own words, it provided enough for my needs without too much demand, which was fortunate as his health was in decline. Hereditary hemorrhagic telangiectasia is a condition that becomes significantly worse as time passes. The older you get, the worse it becomes. Fortunately, 
Before his health forced him to retire, he purchased a house in South Bristol which served as a home for himself, his wife Christine and for the order. However, I'm getting ahead of myself. On the death of Dennis, Brother Francis found himself having to deal with several problems. The first was religious jurisdiction. To what religious body did the order belong? The second was a lack of episcopal oversight. Because Dennis had died without consecrating anyone to oversee the order or to continue the line. Third, who was the head of the order? Dennis had appointed Brother Ignatius as abbot, but no one would follow him. And last but not least, the order no longer had a home because Brother Ignatius had taken Rosary Priory as his own. I later discovered that some of the members that I encountered in 1975 and 6 were frustrated by this situation and had left because of Brother Ignatius. Fortunately, Brother Francis was different. Indeed, if he was anything, he was spiritual. He was a mystical Christian who embodied the spiritual way of life like no one I had ever met before, or indeed since. The numinous wrapped itself around him like a cloak, and in his presence you could almost touch the silence, and the sense of peace that emanated from him was invariably calm and reassuring. As I remember it, when he taught, it was as if another part of him emerged. Far from being sick and very tired, he was filled with the fire of divine inspiration. Indeed, at such times the atmosphere was nothing less than otherworldly. However, I digress. Dennis had died in 1970, and Brother Francis spent the first years of his administration looking for religious jurisdiction. I understand now what a frustrating and time-consuming journey around the houses it must have been to achieve this. But it was done, and not before time. So when I was initiated in 1976, I was initiated into the Order of St. Gilbert, which had been accepted the previous year into the Reformed Catholic Church under Archbishop Donald Garner. Thus Brother Francis had achieved religious jurisdiction within the Reformed Catholic Church and Episcopal oversight under Garner's authority. The question of authority within the order was more complicated. Dennis had appointed the Reverend Gerard de Sicchio, Brother Ignatius, to succeed him as the abbot of the order. However, the records show that on the 23rd of April 1973, Brother Ignatius relinquished that office in favour of Pryor. On the 7th of December 1976, he resigned his position in both the Church and the Order, and again on the 13th of December 1982. It seemed to me that never was a man less suited for the office of an abbot or Pryor. During those years, the issues of authority niggled at almost everything that took place within the Order, and Brother Ignatius was usually at the centre of it. For example, without consulting other members of the order, Brother Ignatius formally applied to the Liberal Catholic Church for membership. Initially, his application was refused on the basis that the Liberal Catholic Church had no opening for an order. He then approached Bishop Burton and asked for his assistance. This approach seemed to have been successful, because from Friday the 23rd of July 1971, the order became an affiliated community of the Liberal Catholic Church. 
On Sunday the 25th of July 1971, they celebrated Mass, the Liberal Catholic Church liturgy, I assume, with the attendance of Brother Francis and Father Peter Carvel, who represented Bishop James Burton and the Liberal Catholic Church. Brother Ignatius states that he had asked Brother Francis and the other members to assist him prepare for the official opening on Sunday the 25th, making the point that not one member attended or helped. Indeed, the only person who assisted him was 90-year-old Dora Hart. The question it is fair to ask is why? The answer is given in part on page 11 of volume 2 of the records and points to the erratic behaviour of Brother Ignatius being at the root of the problem. It is dated Wednesday the 15th of January 1975. It records that a synod was held to discuss Brother Ignatius' letter to Bishop James Burton, requesting that he should become a liberal Catholic priest and abandon the Order of St Gilbert, etc. Shortly after that synod, Order members were informed by Bishop Burton that Brother Ignatius had untruthfully written to him stating the Order of St Gilbert had disbanded some 18 months previously. As a result of Brother Ignatius' erratic behaviour, a letter was sent by Brother Francis, dated February 2, 1975, dissolving the affiliation. Bishop Burton replied with the sentiment he thought it wise. Thus the affiliation with the Liberal Catholic Church, which had lasted three and a half years, came to a sorry end. However, politics apart... One of the great joys of a religious community is when a new member is initiated into their midst, and Stephen Gunstone was no exception. He was initiated into the order on Tuesday the 9th of May 1972. He was a gifted sensitive, although his gift proved to be a curse too. Like many sensitives, he had a lot of trouble focusing upon the curriculum and maintaining the discipline of the order. On Saturday the 28th of May 1972, Christine Chapman was also initiated. As fate would have it, Brother Francis and Christine were eventually married on Monday the 27th of April 1974 at Quaker's Friar Registry Office in Bristol. A church wedding at Rosary Priory followed on Sunday the 8th of September 1974. It was a happy marriage that sadly ended when Brother Francis died in 1991. Life was clearly moving on for the Order. Brother Francis had lived something of a quiet monastic life at 96 Cotton Brow, Bristol, wherein he had quite naturally established an oratory. But on Monday the 21st of November 1972, it was closed down, pending his removal to 58 Amada House, Kingsdown, where a new life was to emerge. On the 23rd of November, a new oratory was consecrated, dedicated to the Alfred Omega and his holy angels. Brother Ignatius had succeeded Dennis as the abbot, a title he relinquished in favour of Prior on Monday the 23rd of April 1973. This was the first of many such irrational actions taken over the years. This particular act became interesting, rather than typical, when it transpired that he had challenged the validity of Dennis Green's last will and testament. It is reported in the records, on volume 2, page 6, that on the 26th of February 1974, 
the will had been declared invalid by Brother Ignatius's solicitor. The Rosemary Priory estate then became the property of Vesme Green, Dennis's widow, who declared it would be transferred to the order as Dennis wished. However, on the 18th of August 1975, she felt it necessary to write a letter to Brother Ignatius with a copy sent to Brother Francis, reminding him that he should allow other members to use the priory as is their right. Volume 2, page 14. These were relatively busy times for Brother Francis, as the following activities described in the records illustrate. They are provided to convey a sense of what was taking place. Many have been omitted, as they are simply domestic and don't bear repeating, whilst others are repetitive and shall be avoided to avoid tedium. On the 17th of April 1975, the order was accepted into the Reformed Catholic Church. On the 18th of May, representatives of the order and the Reformed Catholic Church met at the latter's Swindon Mission. The very Reverend Glenn Smith formally accepted the clergy of the Order of St Gilbert into the Reformed Catholic Church. Brother Ignatius was appointed to oversee missions in the southwest, and Brother Francis to administer to the Order of St Gilbert. Gerald Wills was received into the church and into the order on the 1st of August 1975. On the 2nd of September, William Seney was also received back into the order, having been in obeyance. On Easter Saturday, the 17th of April 1976, during the celebration of Holy Mass, Alan Armstrong was initiated into the order, and on Saturday, the 5th of June 1976, Patricia Moffat was received into the church and Deity Green was baptised. I must assume that the very Reverend Glenn Smith of the Reformed Catholic Church died between the 19th of May and the beginning of November 1975, because on the 18th of November of that year, Brother Francis was appointed Vicar General to fill a vacancy left by the late very Reverend Glenn Smith. On the 6th of August 1976, during the celebration of Mass, the Order of St Gilbert was declared defunct and all membership terminated and the Apostolic Order of the Three Magi was inaugurated by Brother Francis. On the 7th of December 1976, Brother Ignatius resigned from both the Reformed Catholic Church and from the Order. It transpired he had been accepted by Father Peter Morgan to study for three years and to receive retraining and reordination as a Roman Catholic priest for the dissident Tridentine movement. He was expected to sell a priory to that organisation to be used as a Tridentine mass centre. However, in February 1977, for reasons we can now only guess at, Father Peter Morgan wrote to Brother Ignatius refusing him entry into the Roman Catholic Tridentine movement. He was then without membership of any church. On the 3rd of September 1977, at the Mission of St James, London, both Alan Bain and Alan Armstrong were raised to the Order of Deacon. On Saturday the 24th of December, the new chapel of 31 Hill Avenue was dedicated to the Alpha et Omega, and during the celebration of Holy Mass, Brother Ignatius was also received back into the Reformed Catholic Church as an archpriest on the decision of Archbishop Donald Garner. On Good Friday, the 24th of March, 1978, 
the temple of the Alpharet Omega at 31 Hill Avenue was consecrated. On Saturday the 8th of July 1978, Alan Armstrong was ordained to the priesthood by Archbishop Donald Garner at the Mission of St James's London. Just as things were progressing smoothly and all was well with the world, Brother Francis received a letter on Friday the 20th of October 1978 from Archbishop Donald Garner, accusing him of teaching heresy. A meeting was called to discuss this situation and the consensus was that the order should separate from the Reformed Catholic Church. Thus on Sunday the 22nd of October 1978, a letter was sent by Brother Francis accepting Donald's wishes. A copy of this letter is in the archives. On Saturday the 27th of January, a wedding mass was celebrated at the Alfred Omega for Alan and Gloria Armstrong, who had previously married in the registry office in 1970. They renewed their vows in the context of the Blessed Sacrament of Marriage, according to the Catholic Rite. It was a quiet and joyful occasion. However, not so pleasant news was to follow. Hugh George de Wilmot Newman, Mark Yugas, Patriarch Metropolitan of Glastonbury of the Orthodox Church of the British Isles, died on Wednesday the 28th of February 1979. He was a moderator of the United Presbytery of Christian Free Churches and Sovereign Grand Master of the Teutonic Order of the Levant. After some correspondence with Archbishop Garner, the order was received back into the Reformed Catholic Church on the 19th of August 1980. On the following Sunday, the 24th, the Order of the Three Magi was dissolved during the celebration of Holy Mass in favour of the Reformed Catholic Church Society. Then, alas, on Saturday the 14th of February 1981, Archbishop Donald William Garner died at University College Hospital, London. The records show that a special synod was held on Sunday the 29th of March at Southill Park, Hampstead, London, when it was agreed by all of the members of the Synod that the Reformed Catholic Church Society was deemed to have ceased to exist upon the death of the late Primus, Donald Garner. It was also made known to us that the arrangements made with him with regards to the order had not been passed on to the Synod, in view of which we announced we would be known as the Order of Dionysus and Paul the Apostle. The conflict continued and the undercurrents were becoming unbearable. It was clear that the Reformed Catholic Church was uncertain about what to do with the Order. After some discussion among the members of the Order, it was decided that it was better, in the long run, to resign from the Reformed Catholic Church and on the 28th of August 1982, Brother Francis wrote to Bishop Ian Kirk Stewart, tending our resignation. What reinforced this act was the recognition that the ongoing conflict with the Reformed Catholic Church was taking its toll on Brother Francis. His health was deteriorating so much that in August 1982, order meetings were suspended because of this. Coincidentally, on the 19th of November 1982, the use of the name Order of St Gilbert was challenged by Seraphim, the successor to Mark Yorgos. The order met and decided that the message was clear. The Lord did not want us involved with the Reformed Catholic Church or with the name of the Order of St Gilbert. 
and although Salafim had little grounds to make his claim, the members agreed to change the name to the Order of Dionysus St. Paul, a name suggested some years earlier by the late Dennis Green. Once again, Brother Ignatius was up to his silly tricks. On Sunday the 5th of December 1982, he initiated Colin Richens into the order, which on the face of it was a good thing. Unfortunately, the initiation was invalid because no members were present as witnesses and Brother Ignatius did not use an official liturgy. Brother Ignatius clearly didn't like the order's response and he replied by sending an aggressive letter to Sister Claudia justifying the events of the previous Sunday. Consequently, on Monday the 13th of December 1982, Brother Ignatius and his ministers were released from both the Holy Celtic Church and the Order. On the 17th of December 1982, Brother Francis was admitted to Ward 24 of the Bristol Royal Infirmary with heart problems. He was released to come home on Christmas Eve. He subsequently had several such attacks over the next few years. Fortunately, he did not require surgery as the problem was resolved with drugs. On Friday the 30th of September 1983, Archbishop Wilted Thomas visited Bristol. After a long discussion, he offered to consecrate Brother Francis as Archbishop for the Holy Celtic Church. Thus on Sunday the 9th of October 1983, in the chapel of the Alpha et Omega in Bristol, Brother Francis was consecrated as Mar Francis, Bishop of the Holy Celtic Church, by Archbishop Bilted Thomas. Our small community now had valid Episcopal oversight and was at last free of bishops who would play pointless head games with us. On Saturday the 22nd of September 1984, the Holy Celtic Church held its annual synod at Hill Avenue. The most contentious issue on the agenda being the subject of women priests. The majority voted against, including Mar Francis. On Wednesday the 19th of June 1985, the Glastonbury Mass 1984 had its first airing at the chapel of the Alfred Omega. Brother Marcus celebrated. All who attended thought it was a success and it has been in use ever since. Whilst the members of the order generally maintained their spiritual discipline of engaging in the offices, study and the coming together for meetings and communal worship, Sister Claudia, because of her artistic talents, was able to interpret aspects of order life in a unique fashion. Apart from various portraits of order members and her meditative interpretations of various spiritual themes rendered into a visual form, Sister Claudia became the focal point and source of the FDP Herald. The idea of producing a monthly magazine had been in circulation for some time, bubbling under the surface as it were. But with one thing and another, it never really emerged until 1985, when Sister Claudia's design for the cover of the Celtic tablet was completed and distributed to members in September 1985. The first issue of the Celtic tablet came out on Wednesday the 20th of November 1985. Since then, it has had many forms. It was edited first by Sister Claudia, then Brother Marcus, followed by Brother Francis and then by Brother Johannan. Its latest form 
being an online magazine under the banner of the FDP Herald, edited by Brother James. It is hosted on our website. As ever, with any such enterprise, finding regular contributors of articles and stories is tricky to say the least, especially from contemplatives such as members of the Order. The ordination of women had finally been accepted, and on Wednesday the 31st of July 1986, Sister Martha, Pat Moffat, was ordained by Mar Francis. Subsequent to her ordination, Sister Martha moved to Fort William, Scotland, and began to build a church community there, an enterprise that ended prematurely when she died of cancer on the 13th of January 1991. On Pentecost Sunday, 7th of June, 1987, Sister Claudia was ordained to the priesthood, with Mar Francis as celebrant. And on the 22nd of May, 1988, Mar Francis and Archbishop Bilted Thomas consecrated Alan Armstrong as a bishop for the Holy Celtic Church. Sadly, on the 10th of May, 1991, after a long period of ill health, Archbishop Morris Savile died peacefully at home, leaving his watch in good order. Of him it is written, Within him was found the rare quality of supremely great mystical illumination and great intellectual power, which he used to share his wisdom with any who approached him with an open heart. And like a midwife, he conscientiously nurtured those seeds planted in the minds of the Brotherhood helping them to give birth to their true spiritual selves. Order Records 2, page 114 On Wednesday the 26th of June 1991, his ashes were scattered at sea in the Bristol Channel from a workboat called the Pill Cobbler Run. Three members of the Order of Dionysus and Paul, the Right Reverend Brother Marcus, the Reverend Brother Matthias and the Reverend Sister Claudia hired a workboat to take them out into the Bristol Channel as far as Walton Signal Station to scatter Mar Francis' ashes. We journeyed upon choppy waters. It had been raining for several days. Dark clouds were above, but no rain was falling. When we arrived just past Walton Signal Station, the engines were cut off to enable us to perform the ceremony. As we began, a stillness was felt, a presence which brought joy. The sun shone brilliantly, unexpectedly, through the dark clouds reflecting off the water. The spirit was with us as the ashes were scattered ceremoniously. We closed with prayers and the boatman headed back to Portbury Dock. Record Book 2, page 114. And on this note, we must draw to a close Part 4 of a brief history of the order of Dionysus and Paul. Thank you.